that was a big learning step for me to go we can't just go this is the answer now do something about it we actually have to understand why a person would want to change something or not want to change something I'm Serena Killam and welcome to What Sociology Got to Do With It, the podcast exploring research issues from rural and regional Australia and asking our guests what sociology got to do with it. This podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wiradjuri people and I pay my respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. What Sociology Got To Do With It is sponsored by the Australian Sociological Association, Charles Sturt University and is produced for the 2020 Social Sciences Week, promoting the importance of the social sciences for understanding humanity, society and the institutions which govern our daily lives. Let's go. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, What Sociology Got To Do With It. Can we start with your name and where you're talking to us from and what is your current role? Yes. Hi, Serena. Uh, my name is Nicola Wunderlich and I'm currently working as a project manager. I'm talking to you from Charles Sturt University in Wagga Wagga at a freezing cold frosty morning. <laughs> I'm a plant pathologist. So that's people who look at pests and diseases in plants, in crops, so anything that might make our crops sick and cause crop losses. Recently, I've taken on a role as a project manager on an animal-related project. It's called the Pacific Parrot Training Project, um, and it is a capacity-building project in five developing countries of the Pacific. It is to provide training to para-veterinarians. So para-veterinarians are, um, you could also call them animal health officers. Mm -hmm. These are people that are working with animals, looking at their health or their disease, um, detecting sick animals, detecting maybe outbreaks of diseases in animals. Um, these animals can be production animals or pets or wild animals. Yeah, currently I'm uh, managing a project that has just started to work in that area. So being a plant pathologist and working on an animal health project, these sound like pretty stereotypical hard science type problems, but that's not what you're doing as I understand it. That's what I was doing for the plant and the agriculture side of things. So when I started, um, I was a university student at Charles Sturt University. Actually, I was an international student from Germany and I started to enjoy agriculture and anything related to the plants and why they get sick. So I decided to do postgraduate studies and that was working on initially lupins and then grapevines and looking at fungal pathogens of these two crops. So that was laboratory-based research and field-based research, so very hardcore science, um, doing experiments, infecting plants with certain fungi, and then seeing what the reaction is and how the plants interact with the fungus, which fungus makes a plant more sick than others, what did they have in common, and then the genetic aspects of the pathogens and the plants. But I had since weird away from that because I started to get interested in capacity building, so helping farmers in developing countries. And I realized from that that there's a big disconnect between us scientists coming up with what we think are solutions and then the people who could benefit from those solutions actually applying them. Mm -hmm. 
that's not always very related. And when we come up with research questions, often we already know the answers. We're just trying to prove our answers or we come up with a possible answer and then we have to prove or disprove these answers. We don't think about what does that mean then if we find the answer, what does that mean for the people who could maybe benefit from it or maybe have to change something? Because if you think about yourself in human aspects, what if we find out that chocolate is bad? Now we all have to stop eating chocolate. <laughs> so <laughs> it's That would be very hard in my household. Plant or animal related, <laughs> right? So any answer that we come up with comes with consequences and these are usually recommendations. So we recommend to farmers or people in animal production that something needs to change for what we think improve their situation, the plant mm-hmm. situations, the owner of the plant situation, the farmer, the and what they think is improvement for them is not always what we who are trying to improve the crop health or animal health think is an improvement. So we the scientists, so, we. So we the scientists, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I realised that not always take these things into account. So what drives a person, a farmer in this case, maybe wanting to try something different? What could be the things that are stopping them from doing that? So I learned that over the years, I've probably been doing capacity building for oh, probably almost 10 years now. That was a big learning step for me to go, we can't just go, this is the answer, now do something about it. We actually have to understand why a person would want to change something or not want to change something. I know you've done lots of international work, Nicola, throughout Southeast Asia. Was there a particular project or case or something that really solidified this for you, that it's not just about what the scientists think should happen, but it's about that whole social context of the farmer and the person that really drives what change is going to happen? Yes. So there's a few things. Well, there's that story that... (laughs) I don't know who actually originally came up with it, but there's that story about, you know, scientists sitting somewhere on an island telling someone, hey, why don't you do this instead of this? And this farmer or person is sitting there maybe fishing, doing something that they like. And then they say, but why would I do this? Oh, because then you can earn more money from your crop and this and this will happen to you. And in the end, it comes down to, and what do I do with that? Oh, well, then you can take more holidays and go fishing. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. the story is often told between <laughs> people who work in developing countries. And so the whole idea is, well, well, what are we actually telling people? We cannot tell people this is what you want or this is how you want your life to improve. They need to tell us what makes an improvement to their life. Or mm-hmm. Usually it's about their family's life or their children, maybe being able to afford some schooling for their children. So all these things need to be taken into account when we make recommendations. And so it's almost arrogant for us to step in as uh, scientists and say, I know what's good for you. (laughs) So therefore, (laughs) I'm going to do this research and then I tell you what to do. And so I really needed to remove myself from that and say, no, hang on. This is why often we do science for science purposes, but then we get disappointed that it's not applied. And so if we want to avoid that we need to actually when we are coming up with the research questions and the things we want to answer with experiments we need to really consider the consequences if the answer is like this what does it mean for the recommendations we make and what does it mean for the people who are then supposed to be acting on this just a few other things i go to my capacity building times i often work with science communicators yeah so that's a bit different from sociologists but again we really need to understand how people work and what their habits are and what they're used to and the social context that they're in as well as 
the cultural habits. And so for me, a big surprise was when we were trying to figure out what are the best ways, once we have results, to extend them to people, that there was such a broad range of the different countries we were working in, but also within country, people that could read and people that were totally illiterate. Mm-hmm. And so um, when we worked in Myanmar, we found out that many, many farmers love listening to the radio. And they said that radio was the best way to get information to them. Yep. Whereas in other places, it would be, oh, we always gather in this place for prayer time so Mm -hmm. this might be where you want to put your information because it's a strategic place so those sort of things you need to really understand what happens in a person's everyday life and how can we reach them best and what are they happy to take on as advice from who and even what is the hierarchy who would they listen to who would they not listen to so those sort of things is something that yeah I think everyone needs to really consider and we can't just make assumptions that's fantastic. Do you think that in the paraveterinarian program that you're now working on, has your thinking about the importance of the social side informed both the design of that program and how you're implementing it? Yes, definitely. Um, so I wasn't part of the design program myself, but I know that the project lead has really taken those things into account and actually consulted with me a few times on this, where they were um, applying for the funds for this. So the whole project is based on, let's just do some initial studies first, trying to understand scoping studies, trying to understand the diverse audiences that we have here. We have five countries. We have Timor-Leste, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, Fiji, and Vanuatu. Mm -hmm. So there's big cultural differences within a few of them. There's commonalities, but there's also big differences. Um, there's big difference in our audiences. So we have young people and old people. We have, I think we just found out that in the Solomon Islands, there's a period where the schooling was very good. So that was sort of in the 70s. And then due to some political issues, um, I'm not quite sure about the conflict um, yep. the Solomon Islands yet. Um, I'm looking into that. But there's a period where people actually had no schooling at all. It wasn't available to them. And mm-hmm. these are the people that are, working as paraveterinarians now, some mm-hmm. of them. So there could be a difference of five, six years in age gap, but it could mean a huge difference to the schooling that they mm-hmm. had available to them when they were at school age. Um, so those sort of things um, we all need to take into account. And so for us at the moment, this project, the three-year project, was meant to have lots of travel to those five countries from project staff here in Australia, working with our stakeholders in those five countries and getting to know them, building up trust and relationships. Because of COVID-19, that travel <laughs> is not happening. It's postponed or may not be happening at all for the period of the project. But what we are doing now is we are getting in touch with sociologists and anthropologists, so mm-hmm. people that understand people and people that understand culture and how people work together and how they fit into society, identifying people that are already in those countries yes. so they can be local anthropologists and local sociologists uh-huh. or maybe they are experts that are there and decided to stay and not go home during COVID. Yeah. We're just getting in touch with them now to see if they can help us because they are in the countries, can see people face to face because that's often very important for when you're building trust. And so we will be working with those people so we can maybe dial in remotely if we have to. Sometimes that's not an option at all. But we will then 
also learn from those people as well because if they've been in the country for a long time they've got a lot of knowledge there about the people in the country and in what way are they going do you think that uh, sociological anthropological knowledge is going to help your project particularly if we bring it back to the core part of paraveterinary can't say this word. You're going to have to say it for me. <laughs> Paraveterinarians. Yes. Yeah. We just call them um, animal health officers. Yep. <laughs> that will help us because our project is actually developing learning materials for those animal health officers in those five countries. And for us, we are used to a Western tertiary education standard, even the methods and how learning is set up. If you look at different pedagogical approaches we know this from high school and tertiary learning here you know we have different ways of get students to learn something based on a case study mm-hmm. so it's an actual real example that they read about and listen to and answer questions and work through or it could be something in the form of storytelling that works better for certain audiences yeah okay. and there's problem-based learning and then there's just your standard sort of textbook working through modules, answering questions. We need to find out, and this is with the help of our associates in those countries, what works for each audience best. What are they used to? What is their Mm. prior learning experience? You know, if someone has never seen problem-based learning and they have never done that throughout their schooling, then maybe that's not going to work. Yep. Or some people are just used to the structured way of working through modules and maybe that's what they need. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that we will learn and we will find out through our social science contacts in the countries and we can then apply that. That's fantastic. I guess one of my final questions then is with your research, but not just this one project, overall, how would you hope to change the world or perhaps hope to change ideas about social science in the areas that you work in? Yeah, I would like to see people, especially in capacity building, but that probably goes for everything else as well. You're working in research in agriculture and you're trying to come up with recommendations for the industry. It's not that different, really. I would like to see the researcher or the scientist approaching the social scientists when setting up the projects, when coming up with the project Mm -hmm. ideas, not later on as an add-on. The same situation applies for science communicators. We can't just do the research, come up with the answers, and then go to a communicator and say, and now put that in a form that your grower or your farmer can understand it because Mm -hmm. it's too late. And it's the same. We know for statistics, we should work with our statisticians while designing the experiment, not design the experiment ourselves, then go to the expert with the data and go, please, can you help me analyze it? Because usually they say, oh, you should have contacted me earlier because you should have done it this way and not this way. And I feel the same applies to social science colleagues. We should work closer together right from the beginning when we're coming up with ideas for projects. Nicola, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today on what sociology got to do with it. Where can our listeners find you on social media or on your institutional website if they want to learn more Um, about your projects or your work? Yeah, if they want to learn about the current project I'm managing, it's called the Pacific Paravet Training Project. And probably within the next week or two, once we've got approval, There will be a Facebook 
page for that project and there will be frequent updates on project activities. We will also share any other animal health related content that is specific to the Pacific. And obviously we network with other capacity building projects and organizations. So we will share their posts. That's probably the best way to find out about this project. And if anyone wants to get in touch with me personally, they can just look me up through the Graham Center or Charles Sturt University. So I'm a member of the Graham Center or staff of the Graham Center. So they can find my details there. Fantastic. I'll put all those links in the show notes as well. Thank you, Nicola. Thanks. Bye. See you. What Sociology Got to Do With It is hosted by me, Serena Killam, and is produced by Claire Sams. Music is for the team by Sapphire Studios. If you like our show and want to know more, please check out thatsociologypodcast.org and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. What Sociology Got to Do With It is supported by Charles Sturt University and the Australian Sociological Association promoting sociological thinking and skills for public life, social policy and education. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Join us next episode as we explore the latest research from rural and regional Australia and ask our guests what sociology got to do with it.